have you seen RuPaul's Drag Race? And I was just like, no, never heard of it. And she was just like, uh, you should totally check out this show because I think that you should totally be on this show. And I was just like, girl, what? Shea Coulee finished in the top four of season nine of RuPaul's Drag Race when it was anticipated that she'd win the whole thing. She joined us in our studio as a very first guest. We brought in a small studio audience. And just like the studio space is in progress, the show KR Creative is in progress, we talk about the progress she's making in her drag career and the evolution of it. And then I even take a really cringeworthy attempt at drag. But let's say this. She went from taking a university degree in a theater program in costume design into her career and took it to the next level. Hopefully those of you taking in the show will see the parallels between your creative career and her path as a drag queen. This is Chaotic Creative with Shea Coulet. We're gonna talk about what it's like to live a, uh, an effective financial life as a creative performing artist. So how do you make your money as what you do? And then we'll also talk about the business of you and yeah. all of that. So that's what we're gonna cover here. Right talk on. about the show, we'll talk about uh, your music. Mm -hmm. That's what we're gonna cover on this, all right, on cool. this episode, okay? So first of all, what, for people who don't know, because obviously we have people here in the audience who are all fans, but what about, <laughs> you're all like, wait a minute, it's like, oh! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right up in the stands, too. <laughs> Everybody gets a free copy yeah, of you know, you're like way, way up there. <laughs> that perspective, the viewers at home are all like, damn! <laughs> For the people who are just tuning in and don't know, uh, how would you define drag? What does drag mean to you? Uh, drag, to me, is mm -hmm. uh, going against the status quo of what is socially typical and really just living your most authentic truth. You know, a lot of people get caught up in um, the costumes and the wigs and, you know, the persona that goes along with it, but um, so much of my drag is just an expression of who I am as a creative individual. I went on so many different other journeys and outlets, you know, fine art, theater, costume design, which all, you know, in turn helped me as a drag queen, but all of this is just really just a reflection of a more truer identity that doesn't necessarily fit what's on my driver's license. So are you saying that me sitting here right now in a gold sequin jacket, uh, that is drag? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like Mother RuPaul says, you're born naked and the rest is drag, mm -hmm. you know? Um, part of the reason why I study costume design uh, because I had already had a long um, history in theater since I was nine. But what I wanted to explore was how do clothes change the way that we behave as people? They do two things, you know, clothes affect the person that's wearing it. And it also affects the people that see that person wearing it. Because there's always a reaction to someone's outfit, even if it's like small or even if you don't even notice, you know what I'm saying? There's always kind of this exchange that goes on between what we're wearing and how we present ourselves, you know, and being presentational, you know, versus, you know, 
maybe a uniform, but my uniform is not very much different than my mom, who's a nurse who wears scrubs. You know, I just get to switch mine up a little bit. How did you get started in drag? Because obviously you had a theater. Uh, did you get a degree in costume design? Yes, you I don't did. know why. What school did you go to? What? <laughs> I have a theater degree too. I have a theater degree and I don't feel that what was important was the degree, no. but it was the life experience at the university. Absolutely, it was the people that I met, it was yes. the experiences that I had, like those, all the learning happened outside the classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, the classroom kind of was a catalyst to create these um, creative endeavors. You know, because I met such amazing collaborators. You know, at school that I still work with now. For instance, my good friend Tiger Lily, who is a stylist and a brand ambassador uh, for some drag queens. She helps to like you know develop websites and things and such like that. She was one of the biggest people that got me into doing drag because she had seen the work that I'd done as a costume designer. It was always really fashion and it, I was always taking what I saw in the magazines and finding a way to implement it in theater and my teachers hated it. They hated it. They were like, you need to look, you know, at history. And I was just like, well, yeah, I understand the history. Oh, God. Don't get me wrong. No. But I didn't get assigned a historical piece. So uh -huh. I'm just like, why does it matter? I, you know, um, but she always encouraged me and Drag Race was in its third season. Yeah. And she was just like, have you seen RuPaul's Drag Race? And I was just like, no, never heard of it. And she was just like, uh, you should totally check out this show because I think that you should totally be on this show. And I was just like, girl, what? And you weren't doing drag at the time? No, we were still in school. I didn't start drag until after I graduated okay. because I had tried doing costume design in the theater community, but as a post-college grad, you're working with like, $100 budgets for a cast of like 13 people with two <laughs> outfits and you're like, mm. no. And they're basically like, well, it's set in present time Chicago. So you go to the actors and you're like, so what do you have in your closet? Yeah. You know, so it wasn't really that yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was just like, you know what? You should totally look at this because I think you could kill this competition. And so like a while had gone by and I had this uh, foot injury where I was like off my feet and couldn't work. And so I binge watched all three seasons. Yeah. Drag Race and the hairball on season three, it was Raja, Yara Sophia, um, Alexis Ma Mateo, uh, who am I missing? Oh, Manila Luzon, and I'm anybody know? Girl. Experts, anybody know? Right, yeah. I'm trying to go back. Do you guys you know? know their phones. Yeah. Oh, Shangela. How you gonna forget Shangela? Oh my gosh, Shangela. Oh, shit. Girl, Shangela. Oh, Sorry, Shangela. Good luck Actually, on All Stars. That piece of my memory that had Shangela there yeah. was erased when she got me blackout drunk in London. That's what happened to that. Oh shit. That's what happened to that. Okay. So thank you for that, Shangela. Mm -hmm. I still have not forgotten. Um, She's like, yeah. you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> for being such a tiny person, God, is she such a powerhouse for liquor. But anyway, um, I remember seeing that challenge and, you know, it was... The ball, and I think the third season was maybe once they really started implementing like the ball challenge as something to expect every season. And I remember, you know, the three challenges they had like a runway hair look, a period piece hair look, and then, you know, it's the twist that they always do in the ball. They were just like, you need to make a look made completely of hair. And I, as like the inner costume designer in me, was like, bitch. <laughs> and seeing them take 
this prompt and create these avant-garde, beautiful fashion looks that I was just like, I would wear that. I remember Manila Luzon took black and yellow afros and made this bumblebee look that just like had me gagged. And like in that moment, I was just like, oh my God, drag is like the art form that I did not know that I needed in my life. Mm. And at that point, it was just like done. You know, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna go for this and I'm gonna try it. And you know, here she is sitting on this lovely chair with you today. She loves it, she loves it. Um, the, how has drag changed your career? I think that's really interesting. I love what you said about $100, trying to costume an entire show. Because yeah. trust me, I did a lot of community uh, musical theater here in Vancouver, and you know. it's budget. Yes. And you don't look budget right now, you know? It looks like one thing cost $100 on you. You know so, what? Well, hey, she's or, got a few more coins uh, these days. <laughs> She did back in the day. She's no longer shopping at the thrift store. Yeah. Actually, Sometimes you find good finds. If you go out to the burbs, like don't try to buy uh, urban thrift stores because people snatch up the stuff. But if you yeah. go out to the burbs, people don't want to take the cool shit. So that's people the trick. People in the burbs are, y'all miss out. But also, yeah. you know what I found? I feel like they mark things up in the burbs because they'll see like, I don't know, like an express dress and they're like, that's worth $15 yeah. at thrift store. And I'm like, no, it's not. No offense to express or anything. How has drag changed your career? How is it, what has it opened up for you? And how are you able to do things that you wouldn't have done otherwise? Um, I think drag just like gave me the courage to be myself um, in theater. And how is that? Because I, I look I at you say, and I'm like, is this yourself? Like, what does that mean when you I say that? I would say that, yeah, in so many ways, this totally is myself because mm. this was, you know, an idea that I had and, mm. you know, here it is being executed and that's, so much of who I am as a creative person. I love to take my ideas and execute them, you know, to get like a finished product. Um, but drag has allowed me to be more brave and comfortable in my queer identity to also blend gender lines and also understand that gender is something that's not black and white. It works on a spectrum and being able to explore that has been amazing. It's made me such a better ally to women. It's made me a better feminist because like I understand femini femininity, sorry, in such a different way now. Um, drag has just allowed me to see that there are endless career possibilities because drag is like this amazing like gumbo of all these different skill sets and techniques that you can just put into this amazing radical art form that is just like shaping the way that we think about entertainment like i just i just love it so much what are the ways that you monetize your career somebody looks at you right now and they're like okay maybe i and they want to get into drag or they don't but they are an independent artist mm -hmm. what would you say look you don't need to book a part on a big tv series you, well, actually, you did get on a big TV series. But <laughs> that helps. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the independent artist who's like, you want to get paid. You are an artist, and yes. in the digital realm, you don't need to wait for the record label. You don't necessarily need to wait for a TV show to pick you up. Yeah. But we'll talk about how that TV show has changed you. Yeah. But what, do you, what are the ways you monetize, and how do you think people can emulate that? Um, I think branding is extremely important to know what it is that you're selling. And the thing that you're selling, first and foremost, is yourself. Mm. So I think uh, you have to have like a really good understanding of your identity and also the way that you want to shape that identity and present it as a product to the masses. You know, what is it that people will connect with? Like that's what, you know, this digital age is about. It's about us finding ways to make connections a lot faster and easier. How do you do that with drag? You know, drag used to be something that you had to go and search for, you know, seek either 
in bars or uh, in the pageantry circuit, you had to really go out and look for drag. Now you have drag in the palm of your hand because you can just log on to Instagram or Facebook or mm -hmm. Twitter and see it. It's so much more accessible now. So now that people can see your work, what is it that you want to show them? You know, And once you start to find something that really, really works for you, that really hones in on your skill sets, then that's what you want to monetize on. Are you a really good makeup girl? You know, is that your your mm. your strength? Then you definitely want to work on trying to create a presence on YouTube with a channel that has tutorials that tells people about products because then that gets people um, interested in investing in you and having you promote their products. So that's a way to kind of start to monetize because then you start saving your money on makeup, you know? And then not only will you in turn start getting free products, but then if you build enough of a following, then people will actually start to pay you to feature their products. So that's a way of doing it. You know, I decided that I really wanted to do music, you mm. know? Um, and that is another way to, you know, generate revenue. Um, music is not always, you know, the most profitable because it's something that's so subjective. Mm -hmm. You know, you either like a song or you don't like a song. Sometimes you can warm up to it, but especially now in the digital age, it's just like if you like it, you consume it. If you don't, you can swipe and it's gone, you know. Um, so I really wanted to make sure that the product that I was selling was something that I believed in and like music that I felt that I would want to listen to because I had already discovered that through RuPaul's Drag Race, there's this set of fans that really connect with you as a person. So if you do something that you like, they in turn will like it as well. You know, so just being able to generate any sort of product that does not require you to physically show up in a room mm. and perform, that's what you want to think of. What is your merch situations? T-shirts, mugs, whatever. How can you get products that are out there moving that people can consume, you know, without you always having to be present. That's like the biggest thing as far as drag is concerned because it's a hard job. It takes mm -hmm. a lot to, you know, get all dolled up and go and do the numbers. So if you can get revenue kind of rolling that is on the side so you're not always having to do performances and appearances, then that's a really smart way to monetize on your drag. That's a very Beyonce thing. Hers, like she's always like making new T-shirts and like all this uh, stuff. Yeah, you're you like, know, you're like I want to buy that. I need that I've phone case that has one word on it. Since I was a kid, so yeah. I've definitely mm -hmm. grown up being like, mm -hmm, I see you. So obviously, you have the advantage of being on the show, but I know in your entourage and your music videos, those queens weren't on the show. Mm -hmm. What do you say if someone's starting out in drag and like Kenzie, who's your drag daughter? Mm -hmm. What would you tell her? Like, you don't, or do you need to be on RuPaul's Drag Race to become an upper echelon queen that is known and can do the merchandising, can do all that stuff? Or is there another route that you don't necessarily need the TV show? Um, there's definitely multiple paths to being able to um, do that. I will say yes. the one that sets you up for the most success would definitely have to be uh, going on RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. It is just, if you are really wanting to have a career in drag that you know, goes beyond your local community where you perform to being someone who's local to now like performing on a global scale, uh, Drag Race would by far be the uh, easiest route. Mm. But it's also not easy. To like get that's on and to, the, do the show. Uh, to get on, to do the program, mm -hmm. and to maneuver what comes after the show. Mm. Um, it's really difficult. I think. Uh, a subject that has been touched on 
recently with Katya yeah. taking a break from drag. I think it opened up a lot of people's eyes to um, just how hard it is that we do work and how much uh, we really do sacrifice. There's so there's so much that we gain from this this experience that's really amazing, but there's a lot of sacrifices that we have to make um, as well. And I think you just have to be prepared to understand that um, if you are really wanting to be an entertainer and put yourself out there for people to consume you as a product, then you better be um, ready for how that's gonna feel to kind of lose almost a sense of your humanity and to be something that people are constantly kind of consuming and taking in as a product, so. How do you protect yourself from those kind of things? Having a good support system. Yeah. Yeah, just having people that are around you that help to keep you grounded and are honest and, you know, know when you need help, you know, and are there for you. That's the easiest thing. And I'm really, really fortunate they have a really great support system. Who are the people on your team? Who are the key members on your team? And not necessarily names, but roles. So if someone is like trying to build up that kind of community around them, who are the people that you need? Obviously, we have Brendan in the house. Yes, we got Brendan. Um, my Can't boyfriend is a really big one, Dan. Um, my friend Tiger Lily that I spoke about, mm -hmm. Kenzie, um, my drag daughter. Um, and just like my good, just like friends, you know, people who have just been my friends for a long time they don't necessarily always have to be someone who is directly contributing to my career i just need someone that can contribute to my personal life outside of drag when we think of a collaboration so on uh, january 3rd mm -hmm. i did my research on january 3rd you did a tweet and you named off um uh, rupaul mm -hmm. cupcake rapper mm -hmm. adore delano mm -hmm. a couple of times you're like i want to work with Adora. she yeah. responded no what what's up what's up Adora? Bitch, read some Twitter. What? Shit, what? Okay, Alaska, Todrick, yes. mm -hmm. uh, Detox. Yes. That one queen. Who's that one queen? Bob. Oh, Bob yeah. Drag Queen. <laughs> um, uh, Aja and uh, Farah Far Rised? Farah. Fair, who's that? Pheromone. Oh, Pheromone. Yeah. Girl, that's bad branding. See? <laughs> Your name should Farrah be Pheromone. Rise. Farrah Rise. It was oh, already she... stolen when she oh, got Oh, so she could See, be like Pheromone underscore. But... Ooh, uh, for any of you girls who want to audition for RuPaul's Drag Race and there's a chance that you do make it onto the program, yeah. might I suggest get you before you handles. leave, you get your website domain purchased with your mm. name and you make sure that you have all your social media properly linked up to your name because those trolls, yeah. they will find who's missing. Yeah. They will buy those domains with girls' names on them mm. and then try and sell them back at an astronomical price. Now your girl was prepared. <laughs> she owned all her stuff before she went on the show. So there were no trolls coming from my pocket, but there were some girls that found themselves in some situations. Yeah. So I just want to let all you baby queens out there know. Make sure you get all your stuff in order before you go, because there's always someone coming for your coin. <laughs> Protect your coin. Protect your coins. This is Bitcoin right here. Yes. Uh, the, the collaborations. How do you choose who you want to work with? Why them? And what do you hope to get out of uh, combining forces with somebody? Um, I would say collaborations are just just uh, people who I think that I'd have fun with. Mm. Um, people who I think would bring something new and interesting to the table uh, as far as um, my body of work, because I always want to learn and change and grow. And what I love about collaborating with other people is, you know, they bring experiences and perspectives and thoughts and ideas that you wouldn't otherwise come across unless you're in the same room with them. Mm. Um, 
So that's what I think about when I see someone. I just am like, okay, I like that person. I like their work. And I can kind of envision what our collaboration would be like. And if it's something that I think would be cute, then I'm just like, all right, let's do it. Where do you, what's your creative process uh, when you are doing a live performance or even when you're doing your visual album? Where, mm -hmm. How do you go about uh, finding the space, the time to go, okay, I'm touring, I'm trying to sell this stuff, I'm trying to make my coin, mm -hmm. but now I need to be creative. What's, what's your process for that? How do you carve space and time to do that? Uh, you literally find the days where you're not traveling. Carving the space of time, that is a real, I'm still trying to figure that out. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's the first year post show and it's really, really crazy because everyone's like working so intensely. It's kind of hard to find the proper time to go and do all these things, you know. Um, my album Kool-Aid, I had started, you know, in the pre-production process of that, like, right after I got back from the show. So it wasn't really busy and I had like two months to kind of like work on that and get that together. Now, is that a reality per se? Now, not so much. So really all I do is I find a day or two that I have off, um, go into the studio, uh, we'll just kind of work on a demo, do kind of like some ad-libbing. Normally I'll like write something on the plane, you know, planes are great places for writing because you're just kind of like... You, you know, can't scroll Facebook on yeah, the Yeah, you're stuck in the sky, but um, yeah, no, I'll do that. I'll do like a little writing on the plane and then you just kind of keep on having jam sessions and then work on the product until, you know, it grows. You kind of got to mold it, you know, there's, there's never just like going into the studio and it's perfect and you're like, all right, let's just mix and master that and we got a song, you know, it takes a couple tries. Why are you releasing music independently versus trying to, is there, like, is it RuPaul even, is she on a major label or is she like re releasing everything independently as well? I think, I think RuPaul is either releasing it independently or RuPaul has a label. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which, I mean, that's smart. Yeah. Labels she has take, her own label. Labels take 50% of the profits. And you're like, no, again, don't and, take my coin. And, and, and here's the thing. What? what Drag Race does is it, it takes away a lot of the, the, the legwork that goes into, you know, releasing music. One of the major things that comes, one of the major benefits with having a label um, as an artist is they do, you know, your promotion and your distribution. Well, thanks to RuPaul's Drag Race, you already have your free promotion right there because that show has already set you up. People already know mm. who you are. You have an established fan base. It's not like you're starting right at ground zero. So to turn around and give a label 50% for doing something that has already been done, mm. you know, I just didn't foresee that as being a smart decision for me. It was more work on my end, yes, but more profit as well, so it's just like. I want to talk about um, inspiration. Mm -hmm. What is the, if there was a, one album that was a soundtrack to your life, what would that be? I would have to say um, SZA's Control. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can that one. Yeah, it's, um, okay. it sums up so much of my life pre, during, and kind of like post this whole drag race of just kind of being this 20-something creative who's just like trying to maneuver the waters of like life and love and feeling weird and bizarre and like an outsider and not knowing quite where you fit in, but just feeling that there's something better and just hoping, you know, because 
at the end of the day, control is kind of like a made up concept because we don't really have any anyway. Mm. So the best that you can do is just like roll with the punches and, you know, try and find your own sense of happiness. That's why I think it's like really great about it. When you talk about control, what is your advice um, from your experience, perhaps even before the show, because I think with the show you have a little more clout, or maybe even now you run into this, but uh, overcoming gatekeepers, people who say no, you cannot get access to this, you are not allowed to do this. What is, from your experiences in successful ways that you've overcome that? Oh my God, sneak around the back. <laughs> <laughs> we love a good back door. Um, Hello. Like, yeah. Um, some people will bang. Some people will bang, make a fuss. I will go around to the back door, make friends with the doorman, and then just get let in, and then slip up to you in the party and be like, hey, remember me? That's like, you just have to, you have to understand that, you know, not everyone gets let in the front door. Mm. You know, not everyone gets an invitation, not whenever everyone gets in the front door, but that doesn't mean that you can't get inside the party, mm. you know? Um, you just gotta have to, you just have to find your own way in the party. That's a good metaphor for even just like in the business of like, you know, say you're trying to get through to a publicist or something, get in the back door. She didn't mean it that way, maybe she did, but she didn't mean it that way. Uh, <laughs> what is a book that you would recommend or give as a gift? The Velvet Rage by Alan Downs. Okay. Um, I just really think that it's a really great read. Um, I wouldn't even really consider it self-help more so as like an analysis of the fact that so many gay and queer men uh, deal with a, a fundamental element of shame because our society is not really set up to properly build us up. Now it's changing, obviously, and this book is, you know, years and years old, but it's a really fascinating look at the fact that for so many of us adult uh, gay men that we didn't have a lot of, like, examples in media. It's about representation and, and how a lot of times as little boys we're not born in the closet, but it's something that we go into because we realize that we're different and it doesn't, it's not something that's quite celebrated, so we have this element of shame, and even after coming out of the closet, a lot of us deal with trying to overcompensate with successful careers and money and all these things to, to deal with this fact that, you know, a lot of us have not quite got to the root of the issue, which is shame. It's just really good. It's a really good read, and you can, like, read it and, like, sit down and read it in, like, two and a half hours. And then, if not that, hmm. okay, um, this is for my young club. readers. Starting a book club. Um, the Shadow Spinner by Susan Fletcher is a really, really good book. I suggest that you guys read it. I used to read that book all the time as a youth. <laughs> and it's just really, really, really good. Yeah. And it's just like fanciful and magical. It's about this girl who, you know, has to tell these amazing stories to like stay alive. Mm. It's just like really, it's really good. So, what's the best advice you've ever received from a mentor or a peer? The best advice I've ever gotten from a mentor was look for the unexpected in the familiar. And she, which is always, she was an art teacher of mine. Mm. And so many times we, we worked on photorealism. And she would always be like, look deeper, look deeper. And like, I remember one time, this is so silly, but I was drawing eyelashes. And 
it was like this really detailed picture of this man's face. And she was just like, did you look at those eyelashes? And I was just like, yeah, they're like, you know, eyelashes. And she was like, no, 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 no. And then she goes in and she like literally, she's just like eyelashes always, and I'll never forget this. She's just like, they grow out in like bees, like from the eyes, not like one little, you know, and she was just like, they crisscross, they they intertwine, they're, they're not, she's like, eyelashes are not perfect. She's mm. just like, nothing is perfect or perfectly organized. Like you need to like, like look for, you thought that you understood what eyelashes looked like, but you really didn't. Like, you needed to look at that. And like, that's just something that I always, you know, when I look at something, I always give it like a second look, because I always like to take it in for the first time and be like, okay, but what did I not notice that first time? And I don't know, it just, it helps to give good perspective and to also not judge books by their cover. Like, look a little bit further, look deeper. And now I'm like totally mesmerized by your eyelashes. They're like, mm -hmm. right? They're a thing. See? What are your tips? Okay, so I, I heard this story about that one time when that, when that white lady came backstage when you were doing a tuck. Mm hmm. What are your tips for doing a good tuck? Don't. Because I did, don't do a tuck. I did. Um, Lori, you should wear oh, A line. You should wear A line like Dior, like big ball gown silhouettes with like oh. petticoats. See, I was in a lip sync contest for a, ch a charity event last year, uh -huh. and I did Beyonce, and I wore a bodysuit that I got from a suburban, uh, uh, like I think it was a girl's like uh, uh, dance recital costume. Uh huh. So mm -hmm. it was up in there, and everyone was mm -hmm. like, "You got a meaty tuck," mm -hmm. and I was like, "Well, I didn't use the duct tape, and just uh, just for you later, um, oh because God. we thought um, you know you gotta got be glam Thank everywhere, you. so." Gold duct Thank tape you. on the top, and then um, cruelty free, cruelty free zebra. But it's because it I evoked some. Uh, your <laughs> was it cocky or feeling so? It was uh, cocky. Cocky. So yeah, yeah, the boots. Yes. So, so if ever I needed like to do a patch job on them, which I actually need to. Oh, do. then you're welcome. Uh, yes. <laughs> then you're welcome for that. <laughs> Thank you. But tips for a good tuck. Okay, tips for a good tuck. Mm. Um, oh lord. Okay, so here's oh, no. anatomy lesson. Should I not have asked this? Okay. Um, oh. So. The testes, yeah. they have like a home that's like in the pelvis from which they like dropped. suspended and dropped from. Yeah. And so the meatiest part really of the tuck is the testes. Mm. So with your thumbs, okay? <laughs> Visualize these people. Uh -huh, thumbs. With your thumbs, right? And then you like whoop, whoop. And then like once they're like back up in the nest. How do you keep them there? Once you have them back in the nest, yeah. see, they don't want to stay in the nest, they want to Puffin. fall back down. And what holds them but the scrotum. So then after the testes are up in the cavity, yes. you take the scrotum yeah. and then you pull it back over the taint. And then once it's over there, then you go and you take the penis, you put it right over there too, and then you go with one maybe like 16 inch piece of duct tape and then you sandwich it back, right? And then you like do a deep squat. <laughs> I'm getting real in there. You do a deep squat, right? Yeah. Cause you gotta, you gotta get in like a second position, like a ballerina at the bar, right? You gotta get in that squat cause you gotta spread those cheeks so that you can take that tape and then go all the way up the bum to the back. Yeah. That's piece of tape number one. What? Okay. <laughs> Once piece of tape number one is on, yes. Then you go with like another sixteen to eighteen, eighteen inch long. piece of tape. Yeah, because mm -hmm. okay. you gotta go across like you know. Like so you gotta shave your body's down there. wider than you want to think. Yeah. And then 
you go diagonally mm. from like the left testy, the testy, <laughs> from the left testy to like the right butt cheek, right? But you're still like in the cracks. You mm. go like diagonal. Another piece of tape. Do the same on the other side, from the right to the left, diagonal. And then you do one more piece to just flatten everything out, just down the center, and you do real tight. And then you throw on like a nude little panty or thong to cover up that duct tape, and there you go. Does everybody do this? Everyone has different methods. Some girls use like more than four pieces of duct tape. Yeah. Um, I think four is. I think four is good. Wow. Okay. Duct tape can be expensive sometimes. <laughs> so, you ask. Does it hurt? Um, it's uncomfortable. Well, here's the thing. If you're tucked like really good, you know, you got the tape and nothing's moving around, you're fine. Like the first time you do it, when the testes are up there in the little like nest, you know, it's gonna feel like tight. Cause they're like, oh my god, we haven't been up here in a while. But after you do, uh, after you do, since we were twelve, <laughs> yeah. After you do drag for a while, they're like, oh yeah, this again, whatever. Yeah. And you don't even notice. But at first, you're just kind of like, you kind of feel like, like you almost got kicked in the nuts because yeah. it's like right in the pelvis. So you're like, oh, that's tight. How important is it to have like a like a, a polished look when you're starting out in drag? Not important. No. No one starts off polished. Really. We all think we do, but we don't. You look back at old pictures of yourself and you're like, that's some janky shit. Oh my god. I have pictures of myself, Kim Chi, and Pearl that I swear to God, if you, if you guys saw that, you'd be like, whoa. All right. You know, drag takes time. I think so many of us, we like come out and we're just like, okay, um, I'm gonna sit on like throwing some mascara and a little wet and wild and like some rouge and like, you know, maybe a few individuals because I don't want my lashes to look too heavy. Um, we just think we're so naturally feminine that we're just like, <laughs> and then you like look back at, and even if like you're in the mirror and you're like, yes girl, I love my thing. <laughs> and then you go back and you're just like, what in the hell? I was looking at a picture, like maybe my third night out in drag. Yeah. I know for a fact, I spent two hours doing my makeup and I looked at that picture and I was just like, what makeup? Yeah. I don't know what I did for two hours. Okay, as we wrap up here, I want your help. Mm -hmm. I feel like, uh, can you help me with the, the stuff that we found around the office? Oh, okay, yeah. So the first one is the wig. Oh. So we use this. Oh. I had a nice one. This isn't even my nice wig, my like, Beyonce like from Columbia. Oh, wig. this isn't the nice. No, wig. Oh, this she's is so the janky gorgeous. one that I found on my desk. Oh, she's so, beautiful. Um, this is like step one. Uh huh. And then. Uh, oh, I'm jealous. Uh, Lori braided it because the ends were a little fried. Yeah. Then in this box here, uh, we were watching a YouTube tutorial because you were talking about YouTube tutorials. Yes. And so this one lady showed us how to like tie a wrap. Mm -hmm. And so you go like this, and I'm maybe teaching you some fashion tips right now. <laughs> so um, you twist this. Like yeah. this might be a look for you like later when you're like, because it's in the rain and you're like, it's uh -huh. wet and my hair might get damaged. So yeah, you do you this, just watch and you. then you wrap this around. It's like this Indo-African centric look. Uh huh. Um, so uh -huh. that's good. Yeah. 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 Yes. And the next I'm, keep is, going. Then, I'm. Um, I got some earrings. Oh, uh, those are lovely. And yeah. I felt they were a bit Shea Coulee because they're kind of big and clunky. And the trick is... Did you say uh, clunky? Yeah, chunky. Oh, You know chunky. what I mean? Like thick. Mm. Girl, you know. 
Yeah. Like your lips. Yeah. And then see, like that. Yeah. Actually, it's like the no Beyonce joke, influence. Um, you wear something like this, right? No, I, well, oh. okay, maybe no. not the whole thing. But <laughs> I did have earrings that looked just like that. So, yeah. I actually, for a second, thought that you had robbed. I was just like, where did you get my earrings? And then can you help me with this, please? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, normally, you know, I like to go in with like a lip liner, but oh, we're just we gonna. That. Yeah, we're just gonna. We're gonna. Uh huh. So go like. Because uh, uh, yeah. uh, you want to get uh, that skin nice. Uh, you don't want it to collect in those creases. Then uh, go uh, ee. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. like a vocal warm up, too. Yeah, uh huh. There's, like, there's so much multitasking involved in this process. Oh, you got it. It's on my teeth now. Here. Boom. <laughs> I got it on your teeth again, but just lick them. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you literally look like the girl at the candle store that I shop at. At the, at the Kindle or the candle store? Candle store. Oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, she's like, they sell like uh-huh. artisanal paper and like bird cages with no birds in them. So, oh. so that's why you love the decor of this Yeah, place. you're very that. You're like, he knows about- the store I'm talking about. That's why he's oh. dying. Oh, we, he's her? like, he would work at Foresighted. For, what's it called? Foresighted. Foresighted. Someone said I look like Mama Odie from uh, Princess and the Frog. Oh. You know that? Um, she's a lot younger. Oh! oh. oh. <laughs> first, first piece of advice. What? Uh, don't quit your day job. Oh, okay. Yes. Hey, but I did drag for a full two years before I quit my day job, so you had time. You know what I'm saying? Do you think I have potential? Everyone has potential. Everyone. That's uh, good, to, good to know. That's like good life advice. Oh, yeah. And keep drinking that Kool-Aid. Oh yes, it's already gone. That wasn't very ladylike the way you slammed that down like that. Next time, next yes. time, I'll represent. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thank you. I'd kiss you, but then I'd get the lipstick. I know we don't want that to happen. Okay, I swear I can do drag better than that. But if you want to see Shea Kool-Aid's work and cuts from her visual album, go to dailyhive.com and Hit me up at Zane Megji on all socials to let me know, is there a redemption for my drag efforts? Let me know uh, (laughs) what you thought of this episode, rate and review it, and please subscribe to Chaotic Creative.